come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's got a horror. I'm your poltergeist, Donna. I'm your poltergeist, Matt. And your poltergeist... Oh, oh, yeah, and, and we have poltergeist guest Ryan here. Of course. Poltergeist Ryan. Hey, everybody. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, poltergeist Kenzie uh, said she was going to her storage unit for a bit, then a quick run by the graveyard. Then she had some notes she had to just cr- transcribe from a project she couldn't talk about. And then a quick run to a secret Santa... <gasps> God, I hope she moisturized. Then she ran afoul of not one but two eldritch things. Had to do something with Peter Weller. I still don't understand what she was on about there. Uh, Before finally the birds started murmuring. I don't think we'll ever hear from her again. It doesn't sound good. No, no. We are going a little off format. This is usually the time our show is on hiatus, but we are going to talk about Guillermo del Toro's recent netflix series cabinet of curiosities so did we like it as as a show as a cohesive whole as a whole yes i should mention that in completely on brand for me this was more or less my idea so i started watching it friday at about 7 p.m that's completely (laughs) on brand for me but yeah, I enjoyed it. I think there were some highlights and some some lows, but as a whole, I enjoyed it. Ryan, well, I also liked it a lot. I've uh, since my kid was born in March, I've been on a big anthology kick. So I watched the entire original Twilight Zone, and I watched uh, the Hammer House of Horror anthology, and I'm watching Tales from the Dark Side. Um, so. Cabin of Curiosities fits in really well, kind of just what I've been doing. And like Donna said, I think there are some good highlights. And I think in every anthology, there are some lowlights, like some of the bad Twilight Zone episodes and bad Tales from the Dark Side episodes are so bad. Um, I don't think Cabin of Curiosities ever sunk quite that low. Uh, I reject the notion that there is a bad Twilight Zone episode, but objectively, yes, I suppose there is. <laughs> um, I I like the first half of this a lot i i had a real big disconnect with the last four i think not that they were necessarily even bad it's just i got to the end and thinking like eh, i don't know i guess that can veer into what what was our favorite episode of the eight i'm gonna tell you episode three the autopsy gave me one of the strongest horror reactions of anything that ending of the autopsy where the guy is putting out his own ears and putting out his his own eyes i mean that squicked me out more than anything i've ever seen that was good and i know a lot of people on this podcast and a lot of people in the world are going to disagree with me but the final episode the murmuring i really liked it i like a good ghost story and the emotions it evoked in me as a as a people story i really enjoyed i mean i thought it really hit some good notes 
but I, I think that's because it hits some notes that really resonated with me as a story. I really liked the murmuring also. I, I thought the murmuring was good up until the point it actually did become a ghost story. I like when it was just the two of them and, and their emotions, I thought it was extremely well done. And the ghost stuff kind of took me out of it, which is me an admission. Maybe I was coming to the episode from the wrong place. So it may be more a, a problem with me than objectively with the show. I Brian? also really like the episode, but I feel like I had the, a similar reaction to you, Mac. I really think the relationship troubles interested me a whole ton. And then the ghost stuff came in and I was like, take it or leave it with the ghost stuff. I kind of shrugged at it. Cause I, I didn't find it very scary, but I found the, the Bradleys, no relation. Um, very, very compelling. I think that Andrew Lincoln and S.E. Davis both were phenomenal. So I think it was a great episode. But it's also weird because it was the very end of the show. And so we'd come to expect a lot more creature stuff from the show. But I guess the anthology doesn't need to follow one tone and one format. It's just an interesting choice to end with. Yeah, I, I think the arrangements of the episodes befuddle feels feels like a strong word but I, I i had questions about that it didn't open with i think its strongest episode i didn't think it closed with its big wow episode yeah i, I think the i think i might have had a little more patience for the murmuring if it was in the middle yeah yeah i, I agree just speaking of the episode order i think between one and two those being together because they're both about men ransacking through others things to pay off a debt and they only have two episodes like that and so i like the decision to to pair them because it feels very similar but then also opening them and then I nothing feel... else had that theme yeah opening with those two made me feel like oh it's all gonna be like this or some variation on that and recalibrating as it went on was a challenge and then they put the two lovecrafts together also yes they did weird they did. Very weird. But not in Lovecraft sense. No. Not his use of weird. <laughs> no. Not weird with a capital W and then the other letters start to melt off the page. <laughs> right. Ryan, I don't think you actually said what your favorite episode was. I don't know if I could narrow it down to one, but the three that stood out, the murmuring, which we already talked about, I really liked the viewing and I really liked the outside. That was a good one. Yeah, you're right. I said I had two favorites, but you're right. I really did like the viewing. It's the same director as Mandy and the same screenwriter as Mandy. And I feel like it just, the pacing worked really well. I feel like the sets were built really well. And I was just into it. It really swept me up in a way that a lot of TV does not. I think it had a very polished, slick feel to it. I wasn't in love with the ending. I've seen a lot of people say that they uh, want to have like 40 more minutes to make it a complete film. It really vibed with me. Yeah, the the viewing, I think, was all vibes. And if you vibed with it, then it would work. But it, I, <laughs> I, I was just not there for it. It's like the cast kept showing up. And I'm like, oh, he's in it. She's in it. Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, oddly enough, I think the viewing was probably my least favorite, but okay. it it was just a mismatch of vibes. But the outside, far and away, was my favorite. I liked uh, Kate Bakuchi summoning her inner uh, Shelley Duvall. Yeah, 
Yeah. Even when she's at the Secret Santa, she's dressed as olive oil, essentially. Like, that is olive oil's dress. <laughs> Every Everything about that episode clicked with me. So that would definitely have been my favorite. The, the only problem I had with the viewing, not, why do I keep calling it the viewing? The only problem I had with outside is just that the specter of her husband's corpse kind of spoils the ending for me because she's gonna go to prison she's gonna go to prison it just kept hovering over me waiting for the cops to show up and arrest her was kind of spoiled the ending for me i loved that part like that (laughs) she's playing the note of, of of being triumphant and objectively her life has completely unraveled yeah yeah yeah. I think that Martin Starr was great as Keith, the husband. I felt like his his death was heartbreaking because he was so sweet to her throughout. Mm-hmm. And I think that Dan Stevens was great as the, the pitch man. I don't know what the hell his accent was, yeah. but I feel like it really captured just the scuzziness of the, the character. Mm-hmm. I yeah. saw an interview with the director. Uh, Roger Corman actually interviewed the director, Anna Lily Amarpour for her movie, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. And I think something he pointed out that I just think is really interesting about her work is that she was a fine artist first, and it really informs the way she shoots things. So every frame is beautiful on its own. And I think that's why this and A Girl Who Walks Home Alone at Night work really well. Mm-hmm. My wife and I got into a very like a discussion during this episode about when the episode takes place, because. 98% of it is clearly, you know, 85 to 88, but there are modern computers in that bank. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but my wife just didn't happen to look at the scenes in the bank initially, like the first opening scenes in there. And she said, oh, this is all taking place in the 80s. I'm like, no, they've got modern computers at the office. She looked at me like I had lost my mind. She was like, but look at the, <laughs> like, no, look at the, borax on the shelf that's not it and and i'm like i promise you when we get back to the bank here any moment now there will be modern computers of course we don't get back to the bank until like the very end and so then i'm like look look that that keyboard that keyboard has a windows button on it and she's like yeah i guess but everything else was not uh the viewing probably worked least for me what was everyone else's low note for the season there was a lot of things that I liked about the viewing, but like Mac, it didn't click with me. There was a lot of setup for not enough payoff mm. for me. I think the ones that didn't work for me the most were Lovecraft. I am I am not a Lovecraft fan, and not just because of how we've learned that he's a racist, even by the terms of racist racist times just the unrelenting hopelessness of lovecraft's work even even before we knew who lovecraft was just the whole feeling of lovecraft's work i didn't love it just the 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 hopelessness of it i don't i don't like it i kind of love everything that's come from lovecraft it's weird i love the game call of cthulhu but i don't love lovecraft so uh the the two Lovecraft ones were probably my least favorites. I had the most audible expression to the second Lovecraft story because uh, I got through the Lovecraft. I was like, okay, they did a Lovecraft. It was a fine Lovecraft. 
I'm glad the show got it out of its system. And then Del Toro shows up at the beginning of the next episode and is like, it's based on a story by H.P. Lovecraft. I'm like, what the fuck, man? I just, I gave you the pass. Why are you taking advantage of my patience here? Same. Yeah. I was like, really? In fact, I think I wrote in my notes, what the fuck? I think I actually did write, what the fuck? Oh, no, just more Lovecraft, though. why lovecraft though and then more lovecraft though (laughs) that's definitely a question i always have with because we get a ton of lovecraft stuff now there were other weird writers between 1900 Uh and 1940 algernon blackwood is great and the willows has not been made into a film to my knowledge and would be a very weird great film Uh The first episode, Lot 36, has its own sort of Cthulhu-esque monster at, at its core. I'm like, oh, I even I even had this inner thought. I didn't write it down. I'm like, oh, they're getting their Lovecraft out of the way early. Little did I know. Yes. I think Dreams in the Witch House was my least favorite, too. Um, I didn't mind Pickman's model as much. Well, my main gripe with Pickman's model is that Rebecca is punished for William's actions in a very fridgy way. Seeing her with no eyes, with those like red blood in the middle was very very cool effect even though she didn't deserve that um dreams in the witch house i wanted to like like i think it was fun to see rupert grint in something it's one of my lovecraft stories i like more i think the effects were great and the tripping balls go the afterlife was great i think the story made no sense whatsoever and betsy said that i was just not paying attention or something but i could not understand why the mouse was narrating and why we're in rupert grint's perspective for most of the story And I I didn't understand how the mouse got out in Rupert Grint's pant leg. Like, it seems too easy. And it seemed like none of the characters were affecting anything. It was just a lot of chaos. And it didn't all wrap up in a cohesive way for me. It felt like the rules kept changing for who could leave and who could enter the afterlife and why or how. I agree (laughs) with you there. Uh, The other thing that pulls me absolutely out of Dreams in the Witch House is that they cast a younger actor for Rupert Grint in the flashbacks. And if I'm thinking of Rupert Grint, like the first image in my head is him 10 years old, because that's how when he became famous. And I don't buy y- the, the young kid as him at all. Yeah, it's a problem because we know what Rupert Grint looked like when he was 10. Can I go back to episode eight the murmuring because there was a couple of things i really wanted to talk about with that episode and i have seen a couple of comments that people have made about it that were clearly clearly dudes commenting on how poorly the husband was treated there was definitely some poor communication in that marriage so these these two people uh, clearly love each other, but they are not communicating very well. Now, you guys are both married. Yes. Um, I am divorced. Yes. I'm not going to ask either of you to comment on uh, some of the issues they were facing because that might be hazardous for you. But um, I will say <laughs> that I'm familiar with some of those issues. <laughs> and one thing that I noticed particularly because it stung was the communication regarding intimacy. The the one that really just stabbed me right in the feels was when he was trying to initiate sex. And when she said, no, all affection stopped, all affection stopped. 
completely. And in fact, he turned his back on her. Um, as in, if we're not having sex, you get no affection at all. These people needed to talk. And, you know, he made the comment, I've been trying to talk to you. But when she would approach him and try to talk to him, he was very dismissive of her. You know, like at one point she said, I'm having these feelings. And he was like, you're a scientist. You're not supposed to use your feelings. And at another point, she she was talking to him about the the stitching. And again, he was dismissive. She was she was like she was she, she commented how the woman was all alone. And he was like, no, the picture's on the wall. So for a good period of time, I was very team Nancy. But there was a point when it kind of flipped and I became more team Edgar. So I feel like there was a very good portrayal of both of them. This was not one-sided. This was not all she's good and he's bad. And it was not all she's bad and he's good. They were both really trying and they were both traumatized by what had happened to them. And I felt like it was a really good portrayal. So yeah. um, there, that's my opinion of what was going on in this episode and and nowhere in that little essay did you mention a ghost it's true yeah. it's true so it was a very good uh character study yeah i think a lot of times on twitter you'll see people complain about how there's no like mid-level dramas about couples anymore and i feel like this was actually that more than a ghost story and i feel like it worked really well i really enjoyed it i agree exactly what you said it's we're not seeing someone who's wrong and someone who's right. We're seeing two people who are struggling to communicate adequately. And they, after going through a horrible loss. I know, I know I just talked a lot, but I'm just going to hit one more point and then we can move on, which is that a lot of times when you talk about losing a child, there's so much fo focus put on the mother and the loss that the mother has suffered. And I just really appreciate that they did point out dad suffered the loss too. And mm -hmm. nobody really seemed to be talking about his pain and what he suffered. And so I just really appreciated that, that there was, that they mentioned that he suffered the loss too. So there, I'm done. We can move on. I, I agree. And, and again, not one word about a ghost. But I think, yeah, Ryan, you hit, hit upon it, right? And it's sort of sad that, in order to get that ungilded sort of drama, you have to sneak in a ghost at the end or you're never going to get the money to <laughs> rent cameras. Yeah, We've talked about our favorite episodes. We've talked about our least favorite episodes. Does anybody else have any other big thoughts about the show? Three big thoughts. I'll say the negative one first. I did not love Guillermo del Toro as the front man. I oh. love him as a creator. I love the cabinet they built. And it felt like he was a fish out of water in front of the camera and just kind of stiff. I, I'm I'm prepared for this thought to be thrown back in my face. And I, I accept that. It would have been better if he had spoken Spanish and had subtitles. I, I'm not opposed to the idea. I just don't know how his Spanish is versus his English. So I don't think the English was the problem as much as the... Um, that was the impression I got. Yeah, in front of the, the camera. Because, I mean, I've seen interviews with him, and I think Spanish is his first language. So, you know, mm. it, it would he, he may have just been a little ill at ease narrating in English. And I and I would have been totally fine with him. These intros in Spanish with subtitles. Now, I, I, I can imagine maybe they even talked about that at some point, And the Netflix executives were like, no, <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that sort of thing here. He definitely was stiff and ill at ease. 
Um, I'm not convinced it was the English. He was trying to be Hitchcock. Um, or Rod Serling, okay. yeah. yeah. Or Rod Serling, and, and he's not. I mean, he is a fantastic creator but i think you're right i th- i think i think the the project was not best served by him in that role i agree okay i think the thing he did really well um and he kind of always does really well he started out in creature design every creature in any of these episodes we didn't talk about graveyard rats but the rat right. and the king lichen and the thing in the autopsy every monster looked fucking amazing yeah, yeah. And i think that's his fingerprints on the show and not CG'd or anything. It was it was real, honest to God creature work. Yeah, I don't remember once thinking, "Oh yeah, they had to, they had to fudge that because of budget." All right, my last big thought. I loved. I don't know if Guillermo del Toro actually picked everybody. I loved that five of the eight directors were people who were working on their second or third features, mm-hmm. and they had exciting work before. And I think it's just like a tremendous way that he's giving back to the the horror community because all these people are getting paid and they're getting. Massive exposure. Like I love the girl walks home alone at night. I love the Baba Duke. I don't think those movies get the exposure as like the number one show on Netflix does. Mm. And I think that Guillermo del Toro um, and whoever else was helping him produce this got all of these people getting paid and getting just all that eyes on their work. And hopefully it'll lead people back to all these other movies these directors have made because almost all of them have done incredible work to this point. Yeah. No. E- even episodes I wasn't. 100% on board with. I never thought it was like a bad effort. It was just not working for me. Yeah. Nothing lazy, nothing half-hearted. They they really went for what they were going for and your mileage may vary. I agree. And I liked I I I I don't know the ethnicity of anybody. Um but I I did appreciate the representation of women among the directors. That was yeah. uh, that was nice. That was much appreciated. I really liked the karma in Lot 36. That was fantastic. Had a very creep show element to it, almost. Yes. Yeah. For sure. In Graveyard Rats, I really enjoy the lovable fuck-up character. He's good. Because, yeah, you really... I don't know what it is about the lovable fuck-up that just... Man, you like those characters. Or I do, anyway. I do like the lovable fuck-up. I was I was distracted throughout that entire episode though by being absolutely convinced I knew that actor and going back to IMDb repeatedly to be told no you don't know that actor I've never seen him in anything before but had, then being completely convinced that I know him I had the same reaction I thought it, the actor is David Hewlett but I thought it was Stephen Fry and I would go the same thing I kept going to IMDb so I'm like that's, it's Stephen Fry, right? It, it was not him at any point that I checked. I spent a minute thinking it was David Thewlis uh, from the oh. Harry Potter. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's not him. Who am I thinking? Is it Brendan Gleeson? No, no. Who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking he's the guy. And I can't believe I've forgotten his name. I was thinking it's the guy from Stranger Things. David mm. Harbour? Yeah. that That's who I thought it was at first. Not him either yeah so anyway so that was a little distracting but one thing i really enjoyed about that episode was that they didn't waste any time explaining who the idol is in the sewer who is that i don't know it's just an idol 
They don't waste any time explaining the mine, mine zombie. They just, you took it, it's, it's necklace and it wants its necklace back. And, and I appreciate that. Like, not everything has to be fully explained. Sometimes shit just happens. I bet. And I appreciated that. Knowing that this is a Guillermo del Toro production, um, it was directed by the director of Cube, by the way, which I really liked Cube. I just knowing that it's Guillermo del Toro, I bet you if you paused it and you looked at all of the clues around that, the, the ghoul thing that came back to life, I bet you there would be an explanation somewhere on the walls or somewhere. I'm sure someone has a Tumblr post about this where they've already figured it out. Fantastic. Just because I thought I would mention the eighth cranial nerve is the vestibulocochlear nerve, which is the nerve that carries auditory signals from your ear to your brain so that you can hear. Just thought I'd tell you in case hmm. you wanted to know. Donna, you mentioned that because that's the one he cuts in the autopsy, correct? Well, he, no, he doesn't. He ruptures his eardrum, so he deafens oh, himself. Right. But if he's using the eighth or yeah, the eighth cranial nerve to talk to his victims, then he's he's using the nerve after the eardrum. So he is still able to talk to his uh, victims okay. even even without the eardrum. So it works. But I man, I had to stop watching. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna watch four episodes Friday. I'm gonna watch four episodes Saturday and I'll be good. And after episode three, I was like, I nope, I have to I have to stop. That was that was enough for me tonight. That was one of the most creepy things I've ever seen. And you opened on day two with the outside, which was a good way to get yeah. started. Palette cleanser. That was a good palate cleanser. Yep, it sure was. And then we went into Lovecraft, which... A little goes a long way. Uh, it's yeah. the wasabi of horror. So I will say, I absolutely love that they cast Black people in Dreams of the Witch House which when you cast black people in a Lovecraft piece seems like a pretty good fuck you to Lovecraft to me. Yes. Love so it. So I, I always love it when that happens. Anybody else have any big thoughts about the show before we uh, reach our end game? Nope. I Probably. think I have hit everything I had to say. Small casting thought. It was really cool to see like Oscar winners like F. Murray Abraham in, in the show and mm -hmm. Rupert Grant. There's some big names they got for this. And Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. Andrew Lincoln, yeah. Uh, Kate Micucci, who I thought uh, is always a delight to see and doing something a little different. I had no problem with any casting. Anytime Peter Weller shows up in anything, I'm like, yeah, it's RoboCop time. There, um, were, there were more than a few names that I set there going, I mean, that looks like Peter Weller. Yeah. It can't be Peter good. Weller. Mm. I mean, I know it looks like him, but. So should we move on to Happy Place? As we all get sure. panicked looks on our faces because we didn't have pan happy face ready to go. Ryan seems serene, so I'm going to say maybe he has a happy place ready to go. He should go first. Uh, my daughter can now say da 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 She doesn't understand what it means. Yeah, my daughter's starting to talk, which is very exciting. And just parenting is starting to be a little more rewarding, hmm. which is good. That's, That's very fantastic. Good. I finished my semester and uh, got all my grades turned in. And I have a student. I'm just going to say this student raised their grade immensely by the end of the semester. And I'm very, very pleased. That's awesome. Um, it's always so rewarding with students like 
turn it around. Yeah. Uh, the semester's over. My students did fantastically, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, I, mine's going to be similar uh, to Donna's. My my semester's over uh, as as a student, and that means my grad degree is about half is halfway done now. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've got another year and a half on that, and then we'll we'll see what happens. One of my professors was uh, said, "Oh, your paper's so great. I want to use it as an example to other students in other semesters." So Aww. I was like, "Sure." Do that. Yeah. That like, oh no, please, please, no. Do it. So it, it it feels like I'm over the hill on that and uh it'll it'll all be downhill from here. So that's 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 a good feeling. Uh it's definitely the the feeling that if it gets horrible here soon that I've already I'm already pot committed on this. I have to play through. So that's fun. This happy place unraveled as I kept talking. It is happy, so I'm proclaiming it as the happy place. There Yay. we go. Nice. Congratulations, Mac. Thank you. Hey, um, we are on the social medias. You can find us on the dumpster fire of Twitter at Beyond Cabin, I think it is. Yes, Beyond Cabin. Mac is nodding vigorously. And you can find us on uh, Instagram at also the... um. You can find us on Instagram and you can listen to one of our other episodes to find out what our handle is there. I am also on the dumpster fire at Dragon Goblin. There's no I in Goblin and Instagram. And I'm trying out a couple of other social media options because Twitter is a hellscape right now. Um, I'll let you know if I settle on one of them. It alternates between being a hellscape and being incredibly boring, which is good. I think that's really great for the brand, that it has two modes, underwhelming and absolutely demoralizing. Ryan, uh, where can people find you and do you have anything to plug? Yeah, so I am a co-host of Horror Hangover, which has had Donna as a guest and has Mac upcoming as a guest in an episode we recorded forever ago. And we've had February. Some- yeah, some issues. <laughs> um, we'll hopefully be out soon. Um, we've also had Kenzie as a guest. That's all. I have my book, Saints Blitz Out. And I perform the t- last Tuesday of every month as part of the Ghoulish Show at Radio Coffee and Beer in Austin, Texas. So come see me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at RyanB4890. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Party Apocalypse. I've slowly been trying to adopt some uh, new social media platforms as well. They last about a day for me and then I lose interest. Like Hive is nice, but the tech isn't there. Mastodon, I still don't understand. You can try explaining it to me. I won't understand it. It has literally every annoying element of both Twitter and Discord, and none of them work the same way. So I guess it's good. I have an Instagram account. I haven't checked in on it in a while. There might be wolves roaming around there looking for their next meal. Does that mean you didn't need my social and my credit card to get out of Europe? I mean, (laughs) that's just me on Instagram. Need is a strong word. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. It is Mac Boyle from the podcast that you are on. I am stuck in Europe and need Amazon gift cards. I spent a lot of money on those gift cards, Mac. I'm glad to see you're back from Europe. Yay for me. <laughs> An Amazon gift card is as good as a U.S. passport in some <laughs> ports of call. 
my website, partyapocalypse.com, has books, blogs, movie reviews, uh, other shows, including The Fourth Wall, The Holodeck is Broken, As the Myth Turns, Friendables, Two Friends Talking About Hannibal Lecter. In the new year, we're going to have Disorganized, a Criminal Minds podcast, and this show you're listening to now is on that site. So you're already there. Look and listen to the other things. <laughs> Am I missing anything, Donna? Kenzie, if you're listening to this, we miss you, and we, we are we are unable to run this show without you. <laughs> no, I can't think of anything else. So thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. It is yeah, always for having me. a joy. So unless anyone says anything else, I'm going to turn towards my microphone and say, don't read the Latin. You know what? Horror is...